Welcome to the Legacy Makers at Work podcast. This podcast is for Gen Xers and aspiring leaders in mid-career seeking to craft an intentional work legacy aligned with your personal purpose and vision while in the midst of a busy, complex life. I am Liz Stern, and I am here with my co-host, Phyllis Weiss Hazaro, and our guest, Julianne Zimmerman, for a conversation on crafting a legacy at work. Thank you, Julianne, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. Julianne's career, life journey, and legacy are nothing short of fascinating and remarkable. Julianne's professional passion is putting technology and capital to work for the greater good. She has been in the innovation space since the 1980s as a member, founder, mentor, and advisor to a host of mostly technology-driven startups. Her work legacy tells a story of invention, reinvention, vision, and passion, and the power of pivoting. Julianne writes and speaks on innovation and strategy-related themes for domestic and global audiences, including Green Money, Green Biz, Sloan Women in Management, Sloan EMBA, GIST Global Entrepreneurship Bootcamp, High Water Women, We Own It Summit, All Russia Innovation Convention, Northeastern University, Form 2020, and the MIT Nuts and Bolts course, amongst others. Julianne holds two undergraduate degrees from MIT in humanities and literature, an aeronautical and astronautical engineering, an MS in astrospace engineering, and an executive certificate in sustainability management. That alone is a lot. However, she previously served as an EMT in Maryland and in Massachusetts, and was twice a finalist in the NASA astronaut selection process. She teaches innovative social enterprises at Tufts, She's a frequent speaker, reviewer, and judge for innovation and entrepreneurship programs in the U.S. and abroad. She currently serves on the MIT Mentoring Service as a mentor with WPI and the Majura Project, amongst others. For the past several years, Julianne has integrated all of her education and experience for the benefit of reInventure Capital. Reinventure Capital takes a purpose-built and proven approach to cultivate transformative value and to collaborate to drive positive financial and social impact. Reinventure invests exclusively in U.S.-based companies led and controlled by BIPOC founders or women founders of all identities at break-even and poised to grow profitably, who are largely overlooked by mainstream investors. Julianne and I met a number of years ago when Reinventure was fundraising. As I listened to her and I was impressed with her story and her purposeful intention towards investing in companies often ignored for value as well as positive financial and social impact. It's been quite a journey. I believe you will learn a lot about crafting a work legacy of intention, purpose, passion, profit, and integrity. We are delighted to have her as our guest. Welcome, Julianne and Phyllis. Let's get started. Welcome, for me as well, we're thrilled to have you on the podcast and eager to learn from your interesting journey. We like to start off with how would you define a legacy at work, since that's the theme of our podcast? Well, first of all, thank you both so much for inviting me to join you today. And thank you for including me in the circle of people you think uh, are worth asking that question. <laughs> Um, for me, I will say that I don't think of a legacy as a fixed thing, as you've probably gathered from Liz's uh, recitation of my professional journey so far. I think of it in a very organic way. 
my abiding commitment, as Liz shared, is putting technology and capital to work for the greater good. And I've approached that proposition from several different vantage points and different roles and in different industries. But always that has been the guiding principle that has motivated me, not just something that I aspire to achieve as an endpoint or something to accomplish and leave behind, but really what I found engaging, exciting, inspiring, energizing over all the things that I've had the privilege to do. And, and I hope for uh, many more things that I'll, I'll get to do over the remaining decades of my working life. So for me, I'll say that this is a not very satisfying answer, but I feel very strongly that there are so many things that any of us could choose to do with our time, and it's impossible to do them all. So for me, focusing on the things that I feel have the potential to create real good in the world is what makes work interesting and worthwhile. Very, very true. And it is not an unsatisfying answer. (laughs) You hear an answer from different people in, in different ways, and there are always some common threads and then some very different things. So wonderful. Yes, thank you. So how did your career evolve and what influenced your pivots and what has surprised you about your career so far? Well, I think everything about my (laughs) career path (laughs) has been surprising. As you said, it's it's been eclectic and unusual. So I started off as a teenager, uh, even as a tween, actually wanting to be an astronaut. And so I went to college with the objective of putting myself on the path to become an astronaut. So I left high school early and I I went to college at 16 to study aerospace engineering because I thought that's how you became an astronaut. It wasn't a terrible idea. It was a naive idea, but it wasn't a terrible idea. And, And I spent the first 14 years of my working life in the manned space flight sector. I worked in a tiny little firm designing and building research apparatus for scientists all over the world. And um, this is in the mid and late 1980s when startups were not really part of the popular culture. And if you worked at a a small company, people sort of wondered why, right? Particularly in the aerospace industry, which is dominated by giants. But I was really attracted to the philosophy and the purpose behind this little company It was started by researchers who looked at what was happening in in the manned spaceflight sector and said, look, right now, if you are a researcher who wants to examine the effect of gravity on whatever you're studying, whether that's, you know, developmental biology or pyrotechnics, you go through this process whereby it, it takes anywhere from eight to 12 years to get your experiment flown. And at the end of that incredibly long time, you may or may not have usable data, let alone publishable data. And there's got to be a better, there's got to be a better way to serve the science community than that. And so they started this little company to engineering design and build to create research apparatus to do publishable quality research in space in conjunction with NASA and the other agencies. 
And so I joined that company as employee number seven because I thought that sounded spectacular, serving the global science community, advancing the, the forefront of science. And lo and behold, my teammates and I, in fact, set a routine pace of three years from start to finish and always returning usable data, always. And that was really a formative experience for me that even before we had all this language about innovation and disruption and startups and entrepreneurial culture and whatnot, I was learning from the very beginning of my career not to take the received wisdom too seriously, not to assume that just because there's a way things are done, that that's the best way to do those things, or that it's the only way for sure. And not only that, but my colleagues and I accomplished a whole bunch of things that people had thought might not even be possible. And it turned out that, you know, it wasn't because we were smarter than our colleagues at the big aerospace houses. And it wasn't even necessarily because, you know, we were trying harder or, or working better or anything of the sort. It was just that we were asking questions in a different way. And so I think really that has stayed with me in all of the things that I've done. I tend to be what I call a natural born heretic. And I think that first experience kind of cemented that. <laughs> that I tend to be a bit, uh, you know, a bit unwilling to just accept orthodoxy. That so, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I always say I'm a renegade. There you go. There you go. Um, so, you know, I, I did get to be, as you said, a, a finalist twice in the astronaut selection process with NASA and and I was ultimately not selected. And so having had that signal honor and having done everything I could in order to achieve that goal and, and reached a point where I could not influence the outcome on, on my power, there was nothing I could do to change the outcome. Then I had really an opportunity to think about what else I would care about as much, what else would be as meaningful to me. And I ended up thinking back to when I was a kid and I, I was kind of a weird kid, I would draw conservation posters <laughs> when I was really small. And so I looked around, this is now in the early 2000s, I looked around to see what my fellow engineers and scientists and, and technologists and other um, technology and technically minded people were, were doing to address all of the host of of environmental issues we faced then and still do now. And what I saw was a lot of after the fact, remedial kinds of things, uh, mm -hmm. cleanup and containment and remediation. But I didn't really see any, a whole lot of things happening on trying to prevent pollution or environmental damage or degradation as a result of uh, industrial or commercial processes or, or anything. And so I ended up co-founding a clean energy company with some colleagues based on a, a really promising technology innovation one of them had uh, pursued in his postdoc. And so this is now we're in 2002 and, and this is a point in time just before the clean energy era when we were told by everyone we met uh, once again that what we were doing was probably impossible and not only that, but no one in their right mind would invest in clean energy. And so fortunately, having had that first experience in the spaceflight sector of doing things people thought were impossible, I wasn't really phased by that. I would say that in my subsequent 
career inflections. It's been a quite similar process looking around to say, where am I drawn to bring the perspectives and experiences and skills I have to bring to bear in a way that creates new possibilities and, and generates real good in the world. That's awesome. So you've touched on what I'm about to ask right now a little bit. You may want to emphasize some of it, but what would you say are your core values and principles and have you experienced them changing or have you thought about how you want people you work with to remember you, I mean, in terms of the impact you had? And if so, when did you start thinking about that? You know, I I think my ideas of my principles have continued to evolve and, and I hope will also continue to evolve as long as I'm alive. I think that's just part of being a living, growing person. So I I can't really say that that there's a point in time when I started to think about principles or or that my principles have in any sense solidified in, in any permanent way. But I will say that what has become increasingly important to me over several career shifts and now uh, 30 years and change of, of working life is that the people I work with see me as someone who is always interested in finding ways to amplify what each of us might do. I firmly believe that there are way more possibilities and much greater potential when we bring together disparate ideas than there are when we focus narrowly on linear and and siloed approaches to any kind of problem solving. And so I make a conscious effort to make myself uh, available as a collaborator and supporter and sometimes, you know, just cheerleader for all the people in my network who are also trying to create real value in the world. And I hope that in so doing, I'm contributing in some way to a larger set of impact, um, not just mine and theirs, but kind of multiplier of mine and theirs and many other people's by raising the profile of those impact efforts and also by giving other people the idea that it's not only possible, but it's rewarding and fun and, <laughs> and professionally satisfying to apply your skills and your abilities and your faculties to problems that are difficult and to approaching them in a different way than the sort of, again, the, the received best practice or conventional wisdom. So I hope that people see me as someone who is actively contributing to amplifying and growing the field of practitioners of impact creation. I think that's true leadership to seek to amplify the impact of other people as well as yourself. Well, thank you. I I hope so. Absolutely. So Julianne, we all learn from stories and stories shape our legacies. They shape the choices that we make. Is there a story that clarifies your perspective on the importance of legacy or how you would craft or create a life well-lived? You know, this, um, this question has taken on 
particular significance to me of late. My dad died suddenly and unexpectedly this year at the beginning of the year. And it's been it's been a strange period as as you probably have experienced and as many people listening to this podcast may have experienced that you know we have not had the ability to gather and remember and celebrate and grieve in the way that we normally would right the pandemic has really constrained the ways in which we can go through those important rituals and shared experiences. And so, you know, I, I really think that as I've, I've considered this in, in light of my dad's absence and the end of his life, it's really become very clear to me that I, I really very much want to be remembered as somebody who was always, always game for good trouble. (laughs) That's great. That's, that's really powerful. And I'm very sorry for your loss. I imagine that um, that's quite a, it is quite a difficult time to think about losing friends and family and not mm-hmm. being able to share their stories about them and, and what all of that means to all of us. Well, thank you. And I, and I, I didn't mention that to, you know, elicit sympathy, but just to say that, you know, this is something that I, I think is important for for us to be able to talk about and think about and and to to hold as as an important consideration right not just yep. not just something that strikes us out of the blue um, or that we only come to at the very end of our lives perhaps or or that we only think about when you know when we're when we're really forced to but I, I think it is important to take the opportunities that life presents us to be able to think about these questions. And, and I'm grateful to you too, by the way, for inviting me to have this conversation. <laughs> We're happy so to have you. Yes. And it's certainly a time, as, as you said, when so many people are sharing losses of one kind or another and even not able to grieve with other people in in person anyway it's a, a hard and unusual time there's no doubt and and i think that's all the more reason why it is important to have these conversations mm-hmm. totally so again agree. thank you you're welcome we're happy to have you yeah. so julian your career has had many twists and turns as you were telling us and is really a compilation of impressive accomplishments no doubt Do you think it's more important than ever to think in terms of a work legacy or impact you want to have by mid-career? If so, why? Is is there a time when it's too early, too late? Is it just different for everyone, depending on how things are evolving for them? I don't really have, I don't really have a great answer about that in terms of, you know, mid-career versus any other time. And, and that's partly because, as I've already shared with you, my own working life has been very organic. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not someone who tends to think in those terms about, I need to be here by this point in time, and I need to be there by then. I'm much more sort of directed by by an overarching goal. So as I shared with you from the time I was quite young, I wanted to be an astronaut. And so, you know, I set myself in that direction. And I've set myself in a few different directions since then. But 
what is sustaining and vital is every bit as important to me now as it ever was at any other point in my life is feeling that I am working on and towards something that I care deeply about. Mm-hmm. And when I meet young people, and I, I used to do a lot of advising for um, high school and college students, and I do that a lot less these days, but I would always encourage them to study or play or practice or engage in whatever really sang to them. Not just, you know, whatever was, you know, sort of interesting and their friends were doing, which is also fun, but like really allow themselves to pursue whatever they found compelling. Because even if it seemed completely disconnected and unrelated to, first of all, even if those things seem disconnected and unrelated to each other, they're related somehow because they're important to them, right? So uh, in my case, I double majored, as you said, Liz, in, in aerospace engineering and literature. And I was told by my academic advisor that that was evidence that I didn't know what I wanted and and wasn't really ready to be in college. (laughs) (laughs) I had the imagination to see how those things can be connected. Um, But what that did for me was it enabled me to develop very different faculties for engaging the world and for for thinking critically. When you are doing literary studies, you are engaging a very different set of critical reasoning and a different set of faculties than when you are doing engineering problem solving. And so for me, it it has been enormously helpful. Not only was it enjoyable, and I continue to be an, an avid and voracious and impassioned reader, So it has served me well in my life, um, as well as in various other ways professionally, but it has given me uh, a breadth of means to think about things that many of my engineering colleagues just never had the advantage of cultivating. Mm -hmm. Not that they couldn't have or that their minds didn't have that capacity, but they had never had the experience of cultivating those different approaches to thinking critically. And I had, uh, you know, peers as well, who studied things which at the time seemed to be completely unrelated, biology and electrical engineering. Well, that was crazy. Why would you do that? Those things don't have anything, you know, there's no connection. Well, that friend became a prominent bioelectrical engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I really, really encourage young people particularly to not allow themselves to be dissuaded from their their passions and their interests, even if they seem to be completely disconnected and unrelated, just allow themselves to pursue those things. They will, they will make sense and they will have value in, in ways that are impossible to know in advance. And I think, you know, as we continue through our lives, I think, and I hope that I continue to learn and grow. And I can't remember where I, I first heard this, but, but I think it was one of the ancient philosophers, perhaps, who said something to the effect that people as they mature tend to reach a certain point and say this far and no further. And that's really the point at which they begin to die. Yes. And so to continue being curious and impassioned and purpose-driven is, is really to continue to be alive and growing. And I, I very much hope to continue 
living and growing right up until my death. I think that uh, what you said, Julianne, is very inspiring to young people who I work with a, a lot. And I feel sorry for kids who in their high school days or younger have their five-year plan and their 10-year plan and they think exactly where they want to go, where there are careers that don't even exist yet and things they don't know about that they might get very excited about in addition to the passions that they might have. So it's not always so good to listen to what older people define as success. Well, I I think that's quite true. And also, I think it's important to note that a a lot of times kids are channeled and young adults and and mid-career adults, too. I've been given the very same advice. You know, you should really you should stop gallivanting around like you're going to live forever and you should settle down and make a lot of money. And I think that advice comes from people who are well-intentioned. Because after all, we live in a society that is very unforgiving if you fall through the sort of economic floor. Yeah. And, and that's a very real threat. And so I, I think that it's both and. I think we need to give young people and young professionals very good guidance on how to, how to survive and thrive in that economic context that we inhabit. And also at the same time, not to allow that to be the sum yeah. or the, the limit of their thinking. Yeah. So it's interesting is that I, not dissimilar from you, I was an art history math major. Good for you. Um, <laughs> and, and I played the viola for 20 years. Awesome. And I truly am certain I will be a, a lifelong learner and enjoy the perspectives that I have been able to develop from having had both art history and now history as a really important part of my life and math. And I think that what Phil said and what you and you also said is really important that young people need to see that there are so many different paths and different directions that can help them create um, a life that they that they love, the work that they love doing and sharing, um, because that's how you how you continue to grow and, and how our economy and our world will get even bigger and better. Absolutely. And, and by the way, on this topic of continuing to learn and grow, I, one of my best friends from college took up the violin in his forties. That's painful. (laughs) So, you know, there are, I, I think there, there are always things that we can still do. I'm not sure if it's true that as the quote goes, you can always be what you might've been. I'm not sure if that's true, (laughs) but I think there are always opportunities for us to try. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And there are a lot of people now with they have extra time that are doing things like learning instruments. Sure. And, and I don't think that they think that they're going to, you know, be a concert star, but just because they realize it's enjoyable and they Mm -hmm. want to do it and it's a challenge. And that's a kind of legacy in its own right. Um, Particularly, you know, if, if you are able to share that vivacious way of thinking with the people around you. Right. So what challenges have helped you form or think about your legacy? I will say that although it has mostly receded into my past, (laughs) not being selected as an astronaut was a hard hit. I can imagine. It was 
uh, it was something that I cared very much about and I was deeply invested in. And it's something I still think about and wonder about. And also it enabled me to do many other things I never would have done. And it also afforded me a degree of really kind of open possibility that I think would have been hard to come by. So had I been selected to be an astronaut, I would have had a whole amazing set of adventures, which, uh, which I haven't had, but I would have been in that professional endeavor for at least another, let's say 10 to 15 years after being selected. And then I don't know if I would have had the same opportunities and the same wide field of possibility that I have been able to explore and, and wander across over, over these past 20 years almost. I see it, I see it from both sides. I see it both as, as a, a major disappointment, uh, a heartbreak, and also I see it as I see it as something that, that opened up an entirely different set of horizons for me. Very popular. I can only imagine the pain that that would have inflicted and make you really think about what you want to do next and what the trajectory of your life will be in a different direction. Right. Yeah. Probably brought some resilience, you know, accumulate over time. What I had a running joke with for many years with a friend of mine that I don't know if you remember, this is probably something that maybe people on the podcast audience will recognize, but, but there were these toys when I was a kid called Weebles. Mm-hmm. And there were these, you know, these weighted little um, sort of, I don't know, maybe three or four inch tall dolls. Uh, they had a round bottom. And so, you know, if you if you knocked them over, they would roll around for a while and then spring back up again. And so the tagline for these toys was weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And, and a friend of mine used to tell me that she couldn't wait to see my next Weeble act. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, of course, we are not surprised to hear that you intend to go on forever to the day you die. But where are God you? God willing. Yes, me too. Where are you now in your journey to your work legacy, do you think? What, what are your next steps? Do you have any you would like to share with us? The two main things I am committed to right now are reInventure Capital. Liz referred to reInventure in the introduction. So reInventure Capital is a, an impact investing practice. We invest exclusively in US-based companies led and controlled by BIPOC and or female identifying founders who are growing profitable enterprises. And that is really all about creating wealth and opportunity and economic value and social value in a way that continues to generate still more value, right? So not a kind of quick turn, but really investing in founder teams who are creating value with their businesses and whose businesses will go on to create still greater value for their stakeholders writ large. And so that is a a legacy endeavor. And that's really about racial and social and gender and economic justice, but it's also about social 
resiliency and and it's also about financial returns. And the the other thing that I'm really committed to right now is working with aspiring entrepreneurs to help them to acquire the resources, the skills, the perspectives that they need in order to be successful, because I'm hoping they're going to also become significant legacy creators and change makers and impact leaders. And so uh, in that vein, I, I teach innovative social enterprises at Tufts, a course I created for them and which has been extremely well received. I'm so gratified by the way the Students have responded to it and and the university has embraced it. And mentoring, as Liz said at the beginning with MIT and WPI and the Majira Project and others, and really just trying to offer the insight and assistance I can pass on to them so that they can go be successful. Not that I get to take any credit in their success, but but I hope I get to remove some of the impediments for them so that they can be more successful sooner and and with fewer of the avoidable mistakes and traumas that that I hope we can clear out of their way. Well, again, inspiring success in other people. I hope that's, so. That's great. So we're we're coming to the towards the end of our conversation and wondering what tip or takeaway would you like to leave the audience with? and your call to action? I, I think there are, there are two things. I would say, first of all, it's so easy to be stuck in the weeds. And, and I struggle with this myself, right? Like every day there's, there's you know too much to do. There are too many things I could be thinking about. There's not enough time to think about them all. I think it's really, really important that there's some kind of practice you have in your life, whether that's spiritual or, or exercise or meditation or, or drawing or journaling or whatever it might be that gives you the opportunity to connect with whatever you care about, whatever that might be, so that you can have a little bit of clarity every day to help connect you with that, whatever that is in your core that matters to you. I think that's the first thing. And the second thing I would say is, you know, when you hear somebody say, everybody knows that, just automatically give yourself a moment's pause to doubt what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, we don't want to forget to ask you to tell listeners how can they reach you. Oh, thank you. The best way to reach me is through Reinventure Capital. And my email there is my first name, Julianne at reinventurecapital.com. Okay. And we will have all of this on, on your show notes for the episode. So to everyone out there listening, thank you for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to consider your legacy at work. Thank you, Julianne. Thank you to our listeners. Please go to our podcast website, LegacyMakersAtWork.com, where you will find more information and show notes. And also subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And please write us a review. And if you like what you heard, tell your friends and join us next time. Thank you.